Our scripture reading this evening is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, You could probably translate person better, essence, the express image of his essence, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. All of this is about Jesus Christ, God's Son, And the whole of the chapter is about the glory of the Son. So in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels hath he said, hath God said at any time, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he, God, bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, this is God speaking, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail." But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they, that is, the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So far we read God's holy word. The text for the sermon are two verses from this chapter, verses 7 and 11. Verse 7, first of all, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. 
and verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. They had been converted from their Judaism and they confessed Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. But when they did that, they faced tremendous pressure and persecution from their family that remained in the old Jewish religion, didn't believe in Jesus, from their friends, probably even in the social, the community, and economic pressures as well. And they began to doubt. They began to wonder. All these people are denying that Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe we're wrong. And so the book of Hebrews comes to them with the message, you're not wrong. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so right away here in the first, the opening words, it it jumps right into this and it begins to extol the greatness of the Son who is Jesus. The Son who is appointed heir of all things, verse 2, by whom also God made the worlds. The one who is the brightness of God's glory. The one who is the express image of his essence. Upholding all things by the word of his power. This is the son. This is the one you believe in. And so throughout the book of Hebrews, the excellency of Jesus Christ, the better mediator of a better covenant, not the Old Testament mediators, not the form of the covenant that Israel had, but a better mediator and a better covenant. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Though it starts out by showing the greatness of the Son, but now to show he's better, the book will begin to compare Jesus to things and to people that the Jewish nation revered. First of all, angels. And we'll compare angels to Jesus and say, Jesus is far better, far greater than the angels. And then to Moses. Moses, highly revered by the Israelites, but it will say, no, Jesus is far better than Moses. And then to Joshua. And again, the comparison to show that Jesus is far beyond him. And then to Melchizedek. And so, through the book, it emphasizes, keep holding fast your confession of Jesus. Tonight, we don't do so much of the comparison, but we want to look at what the the book of Hebrews has to say about angels. And by comparison or by implication, everything we say about angels, the purpose is to see how great they are and yet to recognize that Christ is far greater than the angels, as great as the angels may be. And they are quite amazing creatures that God has made. So with that in mind, let's consider these verses 7 and 14 under the theme, Angels, God's Spiritual Servants. 
And the first point is created spirits, and that comes right from verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits. He maketh them spirits. So that's point one, created spirits. And then point two is flames of fire. And that comes from the second part of verse 7. And he makes his ministers a flame of fire. And he's talking about angels, flame of fire. So that's the second point. And then the third point is ministers to saints. And that's verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? First of all, then, angels are created spirits. God created angels. God is the only eternal one who has no beginning. He created the heavens and the earth. He called into existence the mass of material from which he would then form all things. We confess in the Belgic Confession... Article 12, which deals with the creation work of God, that God, by the word that is by his Son, hath created of nothing heaven, earth, and all creatures as it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, and form, and several offices to serve its creator. So God formed every living thing with a certain shape and form and purpose to be able to serve God as God determined. And then as it goes on in the, in the article, it says he also created angels. They are also created beings. They're created by Jesus Christ because the first part of Hebrew says God created all things by Jesus Christ. And Christ is the wisdom of God. So that in that glorious counsel or plan of God, every single creature has a purpose and a place and a function according to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. So also angels. God has a purpose. These creatures have a few different names. They are most often called angels. In Hebrews 6, they are called seraphim, a word which means to burn if you remember Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 is the vision where Isaiah sees the great glory of God and the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. They're also called cherubs, and the word cherub means to guard. That comes from a word which means to guard. And the plural of cherub is cherubim. And all the children remember, the first time we read about cherubim is in Genesis, after the fall, Chapter 3, when God put cherubim with a flaming sword around the tree of life to guard it so that no one would ever be able to come and eat the fruit any longer. Those were cherubim. Those were angels, guardian angels. God created angels at the beginning, and the total number of the angels never changes. They do not reproduce. Jesus said that the angels in heaven do not marry, they do not have children. However many angels God created, that's how many there are today. As far as the gender of angels, the Bible doesn't talk about that either, but whenever pronouns are used, it's always he or him, never she, in connection with angels. 
How many angels God did create, the Bible doesn't say, but it does leave no doubt about this. There were many, many angels. Let me indicate that from a few different places. First of all, Psalm 68, verse 17 says this, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands, or literally many thousands of angels. Many thousands. That's Psalm 68. Verse 17, Jesus remembered to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane said to him that he could call many more than 12 legions of angels. Legions could be anywhere from 1 to 2,000. Hebrews 12, 22 speaks of an innumerable company of angels. Innumerable. So many you can't count them. But the one that's most striking is in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter, rather, chapter 5, verse 11. Revelation 5, verse 11, Paul, rather, John sees a vision of heaven, and this is what he beheld. I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and Thousands of thousands. Now if you do the math, 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. 100 million angels. And then it says, and thousands of thousands more. Angels are created. They are emphatically creatures. Creatures. Creatures who are dependent upon God, their creator, for their existence, as well as their creation. As creatures, they're limited. They're limited in their location. Angels are not omnipresent. An angel can only be in one place at one time, just as you and I can only be one place at one time. Angels are limited in power, though they have a lot of power. First, Second Thessalonians 1 7 speaks of mighty angels. Psalm 103.20 speaks of angels that excel in might. And Second Peter 2.11 specifically says that they are more powerful than men, greater in power and strength than you and I. But they're still creatures. God is the only one who has unlimited power. He is the almighty. Angels have a lot of power, but they're still limited. They have more than you and I. As creatures, they are limited in their knowledge. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Angels are not. Angels do not know the plan of God, except God reveals it to them and to us. When Jesus speaks of the fact that no one knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man, he says, the angels do not know that either. They are not omniscient. God created angels with a certain order. The Bible speaks of spiritual realms with principalities and powers and authorities. And it's clear that there is a certain 
authority structure within the angels and that there are some angels who are higher than other angels, we know, perhaps you children can think about that, there are only three angels that are named in the Bible. Michael. Michael is one of the chief angels who was head of the the warring angels. He was the one who would lead them to do battle against Satan. Michael and the angels. The second one is Gabriel. Gabriel, who was clearly the chief messenger of God. And when he appeared to Zacharias in chapter 1, Luke 1, verse 19, he informs Zacharias that he stands in the presence of God. Gabriel stood in the presence of God. That was his position. The Bible only names one other angel. And that is Satan. Satan was clearly a very powerful angel. Jude Verse 9 says specifically that Michael did not dare himself to bring a railing accusation against the devil, against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Those three apparently were the chief angels. Michael is called an archangel, which means a chief angel. So Michael, Gabriel, and Satan were three important angels. When Satan fell, as many perhaps as one-third of the angels fell with him, which leads to speculation that maybe Michael had a certain group of angels under him, and Gabriel another, and Satan another, but again, that speculation. We only can say that they were mighty angels, but they are still creatures. And as creatures, they are not to be worshipped. Colossians 2 specifically condemns the worship of angels. And in the book of Revelation, over and again, the angels would say to John, Don't worship me. Worship God, not me. Angels are creatures. But they are spiritual creatures. He creates his angels' spirits. They have a spiritual body. You and I have physical bodies. We have material bodies of the earth, not the angels. They're made for the spiritual realm. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created a heaven which was a spiritual place. It was the place where God would dwell in his great glory. And when God created the earth... He put man here, and he, and he, of course, made it a beautiful creation. But in the heavens, it wasn't as if the heaven was this vast, vast, empty space. God filled it with a hundred million angels. They were created for heaven, for the spiritual realm. This is evident from the way God instructed Israel to make the tabernacle and later the temple. 
You read the detailed instruction of Moses that God gave to Moses. And he said, when you make the temp, the tabernacle, and the tabernacle, of course, would have woven cloths all around the inside. And in that, in the, the linen cloth, they would weave angels all around them in the holy place. And the most holy place would be angels. And again, when Solomon made the temple, the wood would be engraved with angels all around it and then covered with gold, pointing to the fact that in heaven, God is surrounded by angels. That's where they live. Heaven is spiritual. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. If God would transport any one of us to heaven When we got there, we wouldn't see anything, we wouldn't hear anything, we wouldn't have any food to eat or anything to drink. It's not for us. We belong to the earth. Angels belong to heaven. They are spiritual beings. Angels were created good, morally, ethically, perfect. And yet, they were able to sin. The fall of Adam and his host is the fulfillment of God's decree. Satan led a revolt against God, desiring to have the chief place, thinking and imagining that with his great power, which was significant, he could actually take over the kingdom and become himself the Most High God. He loved himself rather than God. Heaven's history is connected with angels, both good angels and fallen angels, because even after the fall of Satan, he had access to heaven. We know that from a couple of places, one of them being Job, where Satan could speak with God in heaven. And it wasn't until Jesus accomplished the salvation of his people on the cross rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, that then Satan and his angels were cast out of heaven and they could never enter it again. Angels are, or there's devils are fallen angels, therefore they are spirits. The most common name for for devils in the New Testament is evil spirits. They're not physical. They cannot ordinarily do physical things. God sometimes would allow them to take control of someone so that they could actually take a body and and cast it into the fire or take a body from within and, and cast it into the water to try to drown the person. We all remember how after Jesus cast the devils out of that one man, a legion, how they asked for permission to go into the pigs and... How 2,000 pigs ran running down the hill to their destruction because the, the devils had gone into them. But devils cannot open doors. Devils cannot turn on lights. They are spiritual beings. They are not physical, material beings. The realm of angels is the spiritual They're able to see and hear things apparently 
in our world, but we can't see them. There are angels here tonight, but we can't see them. They are here. The only time we can see them is when God makes them visible. He did that. Sometimes they would come to people in the Old Testament. They visited Abraham. They visited Lot with the appearance of men. They came to the women at the tomb of Jesus. And yet when the Bible describes them apart from that, it describes them as creatures that have wings by which they are able to fly swiftly. Why did God create angels? The text emphasizes it. They are ministers of God. They are servants of God, created to serve God. There's there's two sides to that. In the first place, that they serve God means they worship Him. They worship God. And again, I think of how when God created everything, He didn't have to wait for men to die and come to heaven to worship Him. The angels in heaven filled heaven with the worship of God. But in addition to that, the idea of service is obedience. Doing His will. Remember what the Heidelberg Catechism has to say about that in Lord's Day 49. How it speaks of the will of God and how that compares with us. And in Lord's Day 49 it says that everyone may attend and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. They serve God willingly, faithfully in heaven. Psalm 103, we already quoted part of that, verse 20, but listen to what Psalm 103 has to say about the service of angels. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. They are faithful servants. They were created by God to praise Him. God chose certain angels. 1 Timothy chapter 5.21 speaks of them as elect angels. So that among the myriad of angels, there would some be some that would fall, but there would be others that would be preserved who would never sin. They are elect angels chosen by God. The Old Testament speaks of the fact that God dwelleth among the angels. Now God uses means. God is a, is a God of means. In salvation, God uses preaching to save his people. And you think about the cross of Jesus Christ and how many different means God used to bring out the, the crucifixion, how he used the devil how he used Pontius Pilate, how he used Judas Iscariot, how he used the high priest and the Sanhedrin. All of these things were means that God used to bring about the crucifixion. 
In providence, God also uses means. He could have bread and water come down from heaven and supply your needs, but he uses the means of employers and hard work and books and study to bring about what he wants to happen. God determined to use angels as means. But God doesn't need means. He can speak the word and and things happen. He is absolutely sovereign, but he determines to use means. And angels are some of the means that God uses. Clearly, they were messengers. The The word angel means messenger. And God often sent an angel to his people with a message. Whether it was Abraham or Lot. In the New Testament, to Joseph, to Zacharias in the temple, to Mary, to the wise men who were warned about Herod's evil intent, God sent messengers, angels, to give his word. Angels are also agents for God in providence. And this is very difficult for me to understand. But Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, speaks of the angels, four angels who have control of the wind. And God said, don't blow anything. Don't let the winds blow, he said to the angels. If you read the book of Ezekiel, which is a chapter 1, a very difficult book, but see Calvin's commentary on how God uses angels in providence in the things God directs in this world. They are means. They are also God's agents for judgment. And that leads us to the second point, that God created his angels not only to be spirits, but God created them flames of fire. Flames of fire. Now when you think of flame... You think of holiness, you think of purity, and that's exactly the idea. The angels are pure, they are a flame of fire, absolutely holy. And holiness always means that one is entirely separated from sin, wants nothing to do with sin, but on the other hand, completely devoted to God. That's the angel. The angels that God elected cannot sin, they will never sin for all eternity. God preserves them by his grace. They are holy. They will never rebel against God. They are devoted to God with their whole being. They live for him. They delight to do his will. The angels do. And they have a zeal for the glory of God. They're not interested in their own glory. They're only interested in God's glory. That's all they care about. Therefore, when they behold man lifted up in pride, they burn with indignation. They have seen pride in what it did to Satan and his host. And they have condemned that. Absolutely condemned it. Now when they see men in this world and women... Lift themselves up in pride. 
They cannot abide it. They cry out to God that God will bring his judgment upon every proud human being. A terrifying thought. A terrifying thought. Because we all have pride in us. Let me demonstrate that what I said is true. Children, remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how Nebuchadnezzar became very, very proud in Daniel chapter 4. And how there he said, Is not this that great Babylon that I have builded? And then he had a dream that terrified him. And he describes that dream which came true. He says in Daniel chapter 4, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. Here comes an angel. A holy one comes down from heaven. Somebody who watches. Somebody who's holy. And this watcher, this angel, cried aloud and said, Hew down the tree. Now the tree, as Daniel will explain it, is a symbol of Nebuchadnezzar himself in all his glory. And the angel says, hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Then in verse 17, that angel continues to say, this matter What I've just decreed here, what I've just said, is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. They were crying out to God, don't let this Nebuchadnezzar go on in his pride. That the most, that the, to the intent that the living may know that the most high God ruleth in the kingdom of God. Of men. And this is exactly what happened. In the New Testament, when Herod went before an audience and began to give a speech, the people blasphemously said, It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod didn't stop them, but he took it all in in his great pride. An angel smote him with worms. That he died. Angels cry out to the holy God for vengeance, for judgment against every proud man that exalts himself against the living God. On the other hand, they sing the praises of God. Read through the book of Revelation and you see the angels joining their voices to praise God, to praise the, the Son, the Messiah, for his greatness and glory. They are especially zealous for the glory of God in connection with the salvation of his people. Their zeal for the salvation of God's people is evident from 1 Peter chapter 1. Where Peter is talking about the fact that in the Old Testament the prophets were given visions and they prophesied. But really the fulfillment of that comes today in the New Testament age. And then he says this in verse 12. 1 Peter 1, 12. 
which things the angels desire to look into. All these things about the Messiah, his coming, his work, his suffering, his death, his his exaltation. All these things the angels desire to look into. And you can imagine in the Old Testament when the prophet would be given a word, or maybe an angel would bring a word to the prophet, and the prophet would speak the word, and the word would go throughout all of the angels. Did you hear the latest? Did you hear what God said through his prophet about the coming of the Messiah? They desired to look into it. They were eager for the coming of the Messiah. Now symbolically, you see that in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, where was the ark and then the the mercy seat where they would once a year drop seven drops of blood pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. And with their arms, their wings outstretched and their faces looking down, symbolically indicating this is what we're looking for. We are looking, we angels are looking for the coming of the Messiah, the redemption of the people. They were eager for the coming of Jesus. When Christ was born, can you imagine the joy, the excitement of being chosen to be one of the angels that would go announce to the shepherds, That the Savior is born in Bethlehem. Holy zeal for the Lord. Flames of fire. But that God made them flames of fire also points to the fact that angels are used to bring his wrath upon the ungodly. parable of the wheat and the tares, as well as the book of Revelation, points to their work in the judgment. They are sent forth to gather the elect into the barn, so to speak, into heaven, and then to gather the rest, the reprobate, to be burned. Angels. The Old Testament examples also indicate this. You children remember this? When God said he would kill all the firstborn of Egypt, it was the angel of death that did that. You remember how two angels came to deliver Lot so that Sodom and Gomorrah could be destroyed. You remember how when the Assyrians were gathered around the city of Jerusalem, wanting to destroy it, and God sent the angel of death that killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. The angel of God. Likewise, the book of Revelation. Who is blowing, who are blowing the trumpets? That sound the judgment, angels, who are pouring out the vials of God's wrath, angels. They are the ones that are the instruments of God's wrath. 
upon the reprobate ungodly. They are connected even with the final judgment. In Revelation chapter 10, 14 rather, Revelation chapter 14, verse 10, we read the same that is the ungodly reprobate shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And their torment shall rise up forever and ever. It's if to say no one will ever escape hell. The angels will make sure of that. No one. God created them spirits. God created them flames of fire. But all of that ultimately serves the final truth. That God made angels to be ministering spirits to the saints. That's verse 14. The conclusion of the chapter. Are they, all these angels, not, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Verse 14 speaks of those who are about, or those who shall be, or literally, those who are about to inherit. They are about to inherit salvation. Now that reminds us that the word salvation is used in different ways. In the Bible, the essence of salvation, of course, is deliverance from sin and death and being brought into heaven. But sometimes the word salvation only describes a part of that one work of Jesus. And clearly here it's describing a part of it when it says they are heirs or those who are about to inherit salvation. So they're not unbelievers, they're believers. And God has bequeathed to his people an inheritance. They've been chosen by God for that. They've been redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He purchased them. He earned their eternal glory. And they're waiting for the fullness of it. They have... Their salvation in principle. They have the forgiveness of sins. They are justified. They are sanctified. They are preserved by the power of God. They are, in a sense, already glorified. That's the way the Bible talks about it. We have that salvation in principle, in seed form. But those who are the heirs who are about to inherit salvation are longing for the day when we will have it all. No sin, no corruption, no sorrows, but only eternal life with God. That's what it's talking about. Those who are the heirs of salvation. Those who are about to inherit salvation. The angels were created by God to serve for the salvation 
of those who are ordained to receive the whole salvation. How do angels serve God's people? In general terms, they serve God's people by serving God. Whatever task it is that God wants done, he commissions an angel and says, go do it. And the angel does it. He does it perfectly and accomplishes whatever God sent him to do. That will somehow serve the benefit of God's people, as God has determined it. They are sent with a specific commission, and they do it, not as a robot, as a living, breathing, thinking angel. They perform the work that God calls each one to do. That's in general terms. We can become a little more specific in that they are involved in guarding the saints spiritually. There is a spiritual warfare of which we are almost totally oblivious. Angels are involved in a spiritual warfare on our behalf. The book of Daniel gives us a little glimpse of that. First of all, from a physical point of view, we saw how we can see, the children remember, how Daniel was cast into the den of lions. And the next morning, the king, Darius, came out and said, Daniel, are you okay? Is your God able to save you? And Daniel, chapter 6, verse 22, Daniel said, My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. And that, of course, is, there's some symbolism there. But the angel of God was sent to protect him. But more difficult and more profound is Daniel chapter 10. I have to read a few verses here in order to get the sense of this. Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. He said unto me, that is an angel that came to Daniel and said to him, O Daniel, a man beloved, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. So God has specifically sent this angel to Daniel to speak with him. Daniel writes, And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood, trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So as soon as Daniel began to pray, chapter 9, his great beautiful prayer of penitence, of repentance, His words were heard, and the angel was sent to Daniel. But he didn't come right away. Why not? He explains. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 
one in 20 days. The, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, this angel now, 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, the prince of the king of Persia cannot be a man, but it must be an angel that was involved in trying to cause the leaders of Persia to do something that would destroy the church. And here comes this angel, and he's doing battle against a devil. 21 days until Michael the archangel came to assist him. And then they accomplished their purpose, and this angel could come to Daniel. God uses means, angels, somehow to defend his people spiritually, to to defend them, to preserve them. We sang of that, Psalm 91, he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Again, God uses means. God uses devils for his purpose. You remember how when Jehoshaphat and Ahab were talking about going to war against Syria, and the prophet Micaiah came and told them what had happened. There were 400, prince, 400 prophets there who said, we're prophets of the Lord, and we say to you, Ahab, go fight You will have the victory. Micaiah said, this is what really happened. God sent an evil spirit into these 400 men so that these 400 men would say, go fight. You'll have the victory because God intends that Ahab will go fight and be killed. God used a devil to give these false prophets a word to speak so that they would convince Ahab to go fight and be killed. And he was. God uses devils to accomplish his purpose. For the salvation of the saints, somehow God also uses angels to accomplish his purposes. Now again, God is omnipotent. God doesn't need an angel to do anything for him. But as he uses devils, he also uses angels, ministering to the saints. They ministered to Jesus. After the 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted, angels came and ministered to him. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the agony of the cross, angels came and ministered to him. When Jacob was on his way to meet Esau, angels met Jacob. In ways then that we cannot concretely say, God uses angels for our salvation. The Holy Spirit, of course, is God, and he's the one who imparts to us the blessings of salvation. The Holy Spirit 
gives us grace. The Holy Spirit forgives. The Holy Spirit preserves us. Angels cannot do that. Never ever do we pray to an angel to help us. We pray to God. But God can use angels to assist us. Somehow, they work for our good. Is it possible that angels somehow encourage someone to think of a particular passage when they are struggling? And how that passage, when they read it, then becomes a strength to them. Is it possible that there is a warfare there that when Satan sends his demons to do to accomplish something, there are angels there that are fighting on our behalf, contradicting what the devils want to do? Is it possible that angels are used to lead someone, a believer, to come and bring a word of encouragement to us? Or maybe a word of instruction or maybe a word of rebuke that we need to hear. Do they call on God to help us as they call on God to judge the ungodly? Why wouldn't they? Call on God, help, help this struggling saint. Again, we do not know. And God has chosen not to show us the specific ways that the angels help us. But we know they are ministering spirits for us. Those who are about to inherit salvation, someday we will inherit it. We will inherit glory, eternal life, life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. And angels will be there. Hebrews 12 speaks of the church in heaven and it says, An innumerable company of angels will be there, are there as well. The vision that John sees of the church as the heavenly Jerusalem has 12 gates. And at every gate is an angel. Welcoming, perhaps, the saints into glory. Sending them into heaven with songs of praise to God, guardians of the heavenly city, angels will be there. In heaven, you and I will be over angels. Now they are creatures greater in power and might. Angels are over us. But in heaven, that will be reversed. In heaven, we will be children of God. The angels will never be children of God. They will always be servants. Servants of the children of God. They will serve us. Now, when we say that, we mustn't think, That will sit around in a lounge chair and say to the angel, go get me this and go get me that. That's, that's of course, a very carnal view. But consider that when we are in heaven, the whole of our being will be devoted to serving God. And the angels will be there to assist us 
as we serve God. They'll be there to assist us. We will want to know God. We will want to praise him and to fellowship with him. And the angels can advise us and help us. They can assist us maybe in in a project that we're involved in as a group of saints where we want to bring greatest praise to God and the angels will be there to assist us to praise God. There's a lot we don't know. Only we need to know that the angels will be there serving us as they do now. And now imagine King Jesus on the throne with a hundred million angels to send out to serve his beloved church. When you look at angels, we must simply stand more in awe of God And of Jesus Christ, the greatness, the wisdom of our God. We become amazed when we think of God ruling and controlling and directing the planets and the stars and all the events of earth. And now you think there's a whole realm of things that we are not even aware of that God has also created and is directing perfectly. Every one of the angels has a place and a function and a purpose in God's eternal plan. And they're serving the church. Not one of all God's chosen people could possibly be lost. They're preserved by God's power and they're watched and guarded by God's own angels. Purchased by Jesus Christ, protected by his power, but again God uses means of angels. How he loves us. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Thy greatness and thy glory come out in so many ways. And tonight we behold another side of the greatness and glory of our God and of thy Son, Jesus Christ. We marvel, we are absolutely humbled by thy infinite power and thy love and thy goodness to us. Continue to preserve us, make us to be as faithful in our work as the angels are in heaven. And make us to be those who give all glory to thee alone. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. We sing 284. In the stanza, the chorus, bless him, ye angels, wondrous in might, 
Bless him, his servants, that in his will delight. We'll sing the stanzas one through three and five, one through three and five of 284. 